One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Good day to you. Gonna have to be a little hasty with uh, chatting to you at this point because I am packing to go camping. I'm taking my primary school smalls on their um, their big school. I can't speak. I can't speak. Their big school camping trip and. There's going to be 50 families. It's not organised by the school, it's organised by the parents. And I'm packing, and I don't know if... I don't know how you guys feel about camping, but from my point of view, I've done it a few times. And I'm always... There's always a point where I'm like, why am I leaving my house made of bricks with all the things in it I need and then trying to remember everything I use for 48 hours and take all the essential versions of it just so I can wake up outdoors. Like I could just literally go in the garden at like 6am and I'd get that same experience. But here I find myself and I'm going to forget something. That is a certainty. And I'm just trying to remember every single thing we might need. And I've made life easy for myself. You're going to judge me here. I'm not even bringing a tent. I've, uh, I've hired a bell tent, which I've never done before. I promise it's not my usual style. But um, Richard's only coming for the first night and then it's just me and the kids for the second night and then I've got a gig on the same day that I have to leave. So I just pictured myself trying to come home with, like, let's imagine it's rainy and I'm trying to get myself home and I'm trying to pack up a tent on my own and the kids are, I don't know, I just thought this is horrible and stressful. So instead, yeah, I've been a bit soft on myself and 
I've got a tent, so that's good. So I don't need to worry about bedding. But I'm just bound to get this a bit wrong, aren't I? Anyway, I'm sure you don't know about that. I spoke to Karen Elson. And Karen Elson is someone I've been following on Instagram for ages. So sometimes when I ask people to talk to me for podcasts, I'm totally cool if they say no, I can take it. But I'm always a bit shy about the ask. With Karen, it took me ages to pluck up the courage to send a little message saying, I'd love to speak to you. And she was really great and got back to me straight away and was really up for it, which was lovely. Um, Because I've always thought she was so intriguing. I saw her in real life once. um, And obviously I wouldn't automatically talk about the way that all my podcast guests look, but given that Karen is a model, it feels appropriate to say that she was, I thought, mesmerically beautiful and kind of luminous. And um, I saw her across, uh, she was staying in a hotel I was staying at, this was years ago now. And I thought, wow, yes, she looks lovely. And then um, I really love her music. She's got a very, very beautiful voice. She does lovely singer-songwriter, gentle, sort of alt-folky music. It's really pretty. And I've always just thought she was very intriguing, especially given that she grew up just outside of Manchester and then ends up now raising her kids in Nashville. I thought, wow, that's a very different life. So yes, we had a lovely, lovely chat about lots and lots of things. She also released a book called The Red Flame, which is an autobiography. And it's it's really exciting because she's a lot more open and honest than you might imagine she would be, as in that she she's quite open about her criticisms of some of the experiences she's had as a model which is no surprise that she's had those experiences. It's just really refreshing that she was open about talking about them because sometimes there's a bit of a, I don't know, a bit of a closed club about, you know, the way that those things are handled back behind the scenes. So I really applaud that. Uh, She now has two kids. And, uh, yeah, I, I spoke to her very, very recently on what looked like a beautiful sunny day in Nashville. And I think, I think I even said it to her when I'm chatting, but on the Zoom, it almost looked like a painting. She was there at the front of the screen with her famous red hair and then in the background this very beautiful green room with a little guitar sort of slung on the sofa which looked very artful so yeah it kind of looked like a really lovely place to be and I think I was particularly feeling that given it was a really drizzly day in my hometown in London but anywho here's Karen here's me having a chat and I'm going to get back to uh, I've realized I'm slightly sort of made myself a bit hot and sweaty just trying to get all this camping stuff what is the point I guess if it all goes horribly wrong, we can just drive up. We can be home within a couple of hours. <laughs> all right, see you on the other side. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. And um, I, it's funny because I do all my bookings for for guests myself for the podcast. And, you know, it sometimes takes me a little while to pluck up courage to just chuck out messages out into the ether. So thank you very much for replying because I... Uh, I'm so glad you did. Like I said, I've been a fan for a long time. And when I saw your message, it was, it was, I was glad. Oh, well, how lovely was, for me. That is really lovely because I, um, I think you're brilliant. And I, when I've been looking through things, it's nice because there's some really nice parallels as well. Not just that we were born in the same year, but... We also um, both took to doing music during lockdown with your Radio Redhead. Yeah. I was doing something here called Kitchen Disco, which was a sort of, I don't know what it was. Oh, amazing. Chaotic, <laughs> chaotic Instagram live post. But I loved your Radio Redhead and then you've released it now. So that must be nice to have that out in the world. 
Yeah, so I made, um, you know, I think doing that, it reminded me of being a, a sort of teenager again. I mean, I'm sure you can relate. Lockdown for me was the first time since I was 16 that I'd been in any place longer than maybe four or four months or so. And even after having kids, I was flying with my two little ones like a couple of months after they were born, going places. And, and it was the first time in my adult life that I had time to sort of sit down and think. And I, and I sort of rediscovered sides of myself that have become dormant just from the hectic nature of life and being a mom and having a career that I remembered that I was just a big music fan and like a big teenager still in my room listening to songs and learning how to play them. And then I put it on Instagram, but it was a very innocent thing. And it kind of reminded me of what I love, especially about music, is that I'm just a big music fan. That's it. Absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm just... I, mean, I think it's part of being British as well, how much music is so important to our childhoods, especially during the times we grew up in. I think we were really lucky to live in an era where just there was so much good music, yeah. you know, so much great music. The bands meant everything. And again, it just reminded me of that younger part of myself. And I was really happy to rediscover that. And that was the positive out of this horrible nightmare we've all been through with COVID that the one positive out of it was I I got to rediscover sort of these really innocent sides of myself. Yeah, and I think it sounds like the way music was for you during that time was very similar to me and that obviously it's part of your day job, you know, you've made it part of what you yeah. do and what you put out there. Right. But actually when it came to recording and putting things out during the lockdown, it was much more coming from a much more innocent sort of spiritual place of just like I actually just really need yeah. to do this for me and it's a really good tonic and connecting you to a version yeah. of yourself from years back and the sort of happy memories that go along with that absolutely and that was what it was it was just innocent you know and that even kick-started me wanting to make another record so I did the covers EP then I wrote another album recorded it which just basically came out but it was all within the same vein of capturing that innocence you know that sort of not overthinking what music's power is, yep. you know, just trying to capture that 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 essence of what good music does, which it just makes you feel good. Yeah. And I'd never done that before. I think my music tends to air on the macabre. I mean, I'm such a goth at heart, you know I mean? Like Nick Cave, Robert Smith, PJ Harvey, they've always been my sort of go-tos in in music, but then something again during the, not that I, I still, I go towards them all the time, but I needed something lighter yeah. during the pandemic. And I just started listening to different music, you know? I mean, granted, listening to Joni Mitchell's Blue is, is that's a heavy album, mm. but I don't know. I just started going down again, like that, that innocent thing of just listening to the music for pleasure of it. And, and that kind of kick-started a whole other side of me musically where I went oh god I don't need to overthink all this anymore I'm just going to try and write a song that feels good versus sort of oh I need to bleed for this song I, I'm so over that I think we've all been through so much that I can't yeah, anymore yeah. Well, especially when you're in the thick of things where the the news is heavy then actually you don't want to dwell on the heavy I mean I'm like you actually when I write songs I've quite often got a lilt towards things that are quite ghostly and haunted and these dark yeah. landscapes so yeah. that's a great place to put all that because I can be quite Pollyanna in my day-to-day -day life but I definitely have that side right. of me that loves that 
But yeah, during lockdown, it was very much more like Julie Andrews, I'd say. <laughs> totally. It was like, I need, I need some, I need some joy here. I need. <laughs> exactly. Finding the joy, but, all of that. Yeah. And that was a good reminder of doing that in hard times. You know, I think a lot of people in my life when the lockdown, the first big one happened, I think a lot of people were like, oh my God, she doesn't know how to sit still. How is she going to handle it? And I actually was, I don't know, it was like just to have time. It reminded me, it really created a lot of shifts in my life. It created a lot of recognition that I, in general, I can err on just being busy, busy, busy all the time. And it reminded me that that's not necessarily the healthiest thing. I said this before, that it made me realize that success in life isn't just all the outward facing stuff we think it is. It's it's a lot more personal. And it reminded me that, you know, quality of my personal life, quality of my relationships, that's success versus flying all around the world and being exhausted and coming home and trying to muster up a little bit of energy for my for my children. I was like, that's not the balance is not there. Mm. So I really it helped me shift the equilibrium a little bit that when things start feeling manic or when I start feeling overwhelmed, I can't let that continue for too long these days. Whereas before that was my default, running on empty. Well, I wonder if there are a couple of other factors that might have influenced that, like like being in our forties now, because that's quite significant, I think. Mm-hmm. You suddenly mm-hmm. you start mm-hmm. to weed out some of the stuff that's not working for you so well. And that that thing of just like being busy for busy sake doesn't feel as important anymore, I don't think. Yeah. That is absolutely true. I mean, I think I just started reflecting on, you know, it's like, especially in the businesses that we're in, you know, both with fashion, music, or just the world of entertainment. We're around a lot of people. And sometimes I I come into contact with people who are so successful and so adored in the world, yet they're so unhappy in their lives. And they're so um, unfulfilled in their personal lives because they've never given themselves the time to have one. And I think that in my 40s has become a really big eye-opening eye-opening experience where I, I refuse to be allow that to happen to myself. You know, I mean, I've, there's a lot of things that are in ebb and flow, obviously, but it, I just know far too many people who have sacrificed a lot for their career and they ultimately get to a point in their 40s where they ask themselves, is it all worth it? Is all this worth it? And granted, I even have had those moments, absolutely. But it's given me that recognition that, yes, other things are important as well. And I think it's only when you get to your 40s, I think, that you realize, like, okay, I've been climbing this mountain for years and it's okay. I don't have to always be out of breath, so to speak, or just like, I gotta gotta keep climbing, gotta keep climbing or else what's gonna happen? And maybe life yeah. <laughs> will happen, you know? I just I just had a real perspective shift. And again, I, I've just seen, unfortunately, a lot of really great successful people just really slumping to big depressions in their 40s because there's just not a lot of personal fulfillment. So that is as important to me as success, yeah. you know? And like I said, the moment I start feeling overwhelmed for prolonged period of time look there's granted there's days where you're just busy right and you're at spinning plates (laughs) I love the names but exactly and and but then there's days where it's like okay I have to prioritize what my kids I have to prioritize my relationships too because 
they're not going to grow without being nurtured. And again, it's the balance, right? It's like, it's such a privileged take, I understand, that I can put dedicate time towards my personal life. But it's also a very important thing for me as well, because again, I'd rather be less successful outwardly and have a happy inner life, yeah. you know, and have great people around me and have good quality relationships than be uber, uber successful and then go home to my hotel room or whatever it is and be depressed and miserable and lonely, you know? And I just unfortunately think in this day and age, we see a lot of that. And there's a lot of people who are really struggling with depression and mental health illness and whatnot. And, and you know, I understand why people burn out in our business so quickly. Yeah. So I've really been much more attuned to my own version of that. When I'm burning out, I've got to take a step back. Yeah, and I guess you've got to give yourself somewhere to grow to next as well. And particularly if your relationship yeah. with music is, you know, now it's sort of so so powerful and in such a good place. Um, right. It's really important to be able to write songs that are actually about where you're at really now and looking out with that way. Yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah, it's really healthy to be able to do that and give yourself that space. And I mean, I'm looking at you on your Zoom and it looks almost like a painting with the, the background and your guitar on the sofa and the nice shades of green. Oh my God, that's a kid's, that's the, my, like my daughter had that when she was like nine really? years old and we just unearthed I it. it was just it's really just, far I don't away. know why, it's always in there. <laughs> and this painting is actually um, a really good friend of mine, this artist called Dustin Yellen, and he painted it. It's a portrait of my very first boyfriend who tragically is no longer alive, unfortunately. And I pulled it out of my storage space recently. So I'm trying, you know, I'm just trying. My life is just, it's, there's shit everywhere. Excuse my <laughs> <Okay>. language. <laughs> well, it looks very lovely. But everything has meaning. What's it like living in Nashville? It's, I've never been to Nashville. Oh, What's it like? Oh, you have to come to Nashville. It's incredible. I mean, I've got to say, again, during all the lockdowns, I was so grateful that I was living here because I had space. I had, you know, the weather's nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it gets too hot for an English girl, but um, overwhelmingly, it's it's a lot nicer than British weather. But um, it's it's lovely here, and the people are lovely, and the community is. And I have a great community of people in Nashville of of talented artists. Um, my boyfriend is an amazing writer slash novelist, brilliant guy. There's a lot of in just inspiring people in this town. And I think, um, again, sort of how people will maybe um, judge Northern England. People tend to judge the sort of South of, of, of the United States, sort of like it's provincial and there's no culture and there's no sort of larger um, cultural dialogue that's going on. And I will say that Nashville... It, it, it's not like that at all. I mean, I know really engaged, interesting, fascinating people down here. It's just not as saturated as, say, sort of New York or LA mm. is. It's still quite local, you know, and people, but again, people are doing things here that, you know, you wouldn't even know half the people who live here. I mean, it's like Reese Witherspoon lives here, Nicole Kidman lives here, Cheryl Crow. There's like multiple Grammy winning producers who are brilliant and lovely people. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's you know, the guys who produce my record, they work on Casey Musgraves, all Casey's stuff. Casey lives up the street from me, you know? I mean, it's 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 a real lovely community. It's a really nice, yeah, that sounds great. intimate group of people. And there's no hierarchy, you know? And it's like nobody's 
above or be, you know, there's nobody who, who puts on airs and graces. You know, you could be hanging out with, with Reese or you could be hanging out with your gardener. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean? You could be, you could be just the, the, the sort of lack of pretense is really refreshing yeah. in this town. And, and that's what I love about it is that it's come one, come all. It's very welcoming uh, but it's also not pretentious in the sense that there's no sort of classism in Nashville. I mean, sure, there might be some in certain aspects and certain areas, but not in the creative community. Yeah, well, I guess also thinking about it in terms of the sort of music scene, in country music, it's really praised. Um, you know, the storytelling is what the lyrics are all about and the there's wi- the wisdom and life experience. So I guess it's also a place right. where it's not all just fixated on the new and the different, you know, evolution in that way, but actually things that can just right. settle. And so, you know, you might, I mean, I imagine in my head, it's like you walk, you're walking around and then you can hear someone doing like amazing singer songwriter in like local bars. I mean, there's a lot of that in Nashville. <laughs> I mean, the music scene here is wild. I mean, like I said, when me and my ex-husband Jack moved down here, I think the rock scene still, I mean, it, it, it wasn't as prominent, but now it's, it's just as big as say, the country music scene and there's also like a, a large sort of you know urban music community as well i mean the real music is it is called music city for a reason but it's not all cowboy hats and <laughs> and sort and of like yeah you know because i remember a few years ago in london i went to um a fun event that a, a friend of mine was doing and it was sort of like a night of country music or a night of nashville and everyone was in there like plaid shirts and sitting on hay barrels and with <laughs> cowboy boots and hat. And I started cracking up and my friend was like, does this feel like home? And I said, no, because Nashville isn't like this. I'm like, Nashville is not, we're not all sat on, like, we're not all chewing our hay and, and <laughs> like being like, howdy, you know. To, it's, so you're not wearing cowboy yes, boots downtown. Right now. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but I, you go downtown and there's a strip for the tourists where it's like, woohoo, yeah. and there is great music everywhere. But Nashville itself it's a huge foodie city. This is the dangerous part about this town. My God. I mean, it is the food here. Forget it. It is the most delicious. I mean, the, 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 the foodie scene in Nashville has just exploded. I mean, there's so many award-winning chefs that have come here. I mean, there's one guy who used to work at Noma, that incredible restaurant in Copenhagen, mm. now opened a restaurant in Nashville. Ooh, cool. You know, I mean, there's so much going on here that again to sort of view it as oh here I am you know (laughs) just gonna play on my mandolin and (laughs) sing a little you know cowgirl song that happens but it is like a fraction of the other aspects of of Nashville and granted you like being in Tennessee you drive 20 minutes out of town 30 minutes and you're in gorgeous countryside. Mm. I mean, it reminds me of England so much, like Does rolling, it? beautiful hills. Oh, my God. Minus the weather. Yeah. Like when it's really hot, you're <laughs> like, it's sweltering. But but it does remind me of England, like such beautiful farmland. And, and that's where you'll find, you know, that kind of stuff you're looking for. You know, a person might be coming to Nashville being like, oh. Yeah. You know, I remember recently I was flying home. I always bump into people flying from sort of London to Nashville. It's always interesting. And there was this um, double bass player who plays in a very famous orchestra. And he was coming to Nashville for his birthday because he'd always wanted to come to Nashville. And I was giving him tips on where to 
you know, where to come. And he was asking me the same things. Like, is there, is, is everybody like, you know. Dolly Parton. <laughs> oh my God. I wish. <laughs> Although Dolly Parton though, please. Who, I mean, she, she is, she is going, she is a saint. That woman is, is she, really she is. is, she is a legitimate saint. What she did for COVID, yeah. the money she put in for research, also, just how so Dolly Parton. I'm sorry to digress here because now I'm just going to have the That's Dolly right, moment. We can go Dolly. I'm fine with that. She's she has found a way to never polarize anybody, to never push anybody in That's her so fan base out. Whether what you what you what you stand for, what you don't stand for, there is something about Dolly that is so welcoming mm. of everybody, and it's so rare in this day and age that one singular person in pop culture which Dolly Parton has transcended so many eras that she still represents just this force of good in the world and and what a woman what a woman and just everything about her my gosh gosh she is something else yeah I know (laughs) she is I saw her at Glastonbury actually that was was incredible it's not quite the same as being there but Yeah. She's perfect. Yeah, she is. <laughs> Damn near perfect. <laughs> yeah, she's amazing. <laughs> Plus all that stuff she's done for children's literacy, which is amazing. With oh, my God. You know, so when library. my children were born, any child any child born in Tennessee um, gets a book every month. So when my kids were little, every month a book would arrive from Dolly Parton's Imagination Library. doesn't matter if you're me. doesn't matter if who you are. Every child would get a book. I mean, just... That's incredible. Incredible. What what a woman. I mean, what a beautiful heart, yeah. yet she doesn't put herself above anybody no. or below anybody, you know? Well, that leads us nicely onto your kids because what's it like to, <laughs> I suppose, what's the, sim- obviously, there's loads of differences you can see from the surface between your own childhood to theirs, but what are the, some oh, of the yeah. things that are the same? So you grew up just outside of Manchester. Is yeah. it just you yeah. and your sister? Me and my twin sister, and I have two half-brothers, but they were a lot older than me and my twin sister. So by the time my brother Tim, before he went to university, he lived with us until I was like four or five, and I worshipped the ground oh, he bet. walked on. I mean, just His glamorous big did, brother. But, oh, and just so he was always willing to put up with me. Oh, that's so sweet. Because <laughs> I was a high-maintenance child, that's for sure. Um, but... I think the similarities and the differences, my God, there's a lot of differences, to be honest. I mean, I grew up in a working class family where there was, you know, just to be blunt, like there wasn't a lot, you know, their money was not easy to come by. My Both my parents worked really hard and just to get by, you know, and, and it, it, I, when I reflect now, I, I you know, I, I can just see how hard they worked for their for their kids, you know, and that was the primary thing, but also primary thing was to put food on the table, afford the heating bill. Those things where when I, you know, when I complained to the kids, like, oh my God, yeah, yeah. It's with the air conditioning, because it's reverse, yeah. you know, it's always hot here. I'm like, you're so cold. And my daughter is like, mom, you just don't understand hot, you know, like AC, you don't get it. You're British, you don't get it. And I'm like, I do not know because I grew up freezing my entire life, you know, with the heating set to 55. And if you turned it up, you were going to get a walloping, you know, because, you know, every penny was hard to come by. And that's the difference is that my kids have, um, 
I have to be honest, you know, they have a level of privilege that I never had and that Jack never had growing up in Southwest Detroit, that they they go to great schools. They There is an onus because, you know, I'm not saying that my school wasn't a great school, but I didn't have the opportunity to have sort of a, a, a five-star education. So that's something that's very important to mm. me, is that the kids get a great education because a thirst for knowledge is a thirst for life. And that is very important. Um, and, you know, the similarities are, I think, that, again, Jack and I are both from working-class backgrounds that we're not necessarily spoiling our kids. You know, our daughter's just turned 16, and a lot of 16-year-olds are getting cars in America. You know, I mean, she's wow. got her learner's permit. I mean, it's it's just wild. And, you know, I had a conversation with Jack, and he was like, I'm not ready to do that yet. I'm not ready to get her a car. And I really appreciate it appreciated that sentiment because we're, we're trying to not raise them to be expect that things get given to mm-hmm. them you know and I think they as children understand that you know I mean they're good kids they've got good a good head on their shoulders they're not you know my daughter isn't being like I need a Gucci handbag that she's not that variety of 16 year old you know I mean she's 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 really down to earth and low-key as is as is my son as well and I'm grateful for that. So I think there's similarities there that we've been able to raise them not being exposed to too much um, of the other side of what we do. Because I think it's hard for kids in that sense. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. No, I mean, I've grown up around in my late teens and early 20s when I left Manchester and I was living, I mean, I lived in Tokyo when I was 16 I know. years old. I lived in Paris. Yeah. 
I was in London. I was in Italy when I was 17. I was in New York when I was 18. Those few years were really seminal, but I saw a lot and I met a lot of people and I met a lot of kids of quote unquote famous people. And I got good insight into the idea that, oh, okay, you know, a lot of these kids are really sad and they don't have a lot of parenting. And it's two o'clock in the morning and we're out at a nightclub and we're 17 years old and or 18 and you've got to go to high school tomorrow. Where's your mother yelling at you, telling you to come home yeah, yeah. and do your homework? And I think I saw that a lot of doors get opened for in a very sort of sycophantic way for children of certain famous people. And I think because they're young, you don't know any better. You just want people to like you. So of course. It, 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 it's very, that has always been very troubling to me because I just see it sets these kids up for, they've seen everything by the time they've turned 18. They've seen as much privilege as a person can get through their parents, through being exposed to it in their lives. So I put a real big onus on just being like a normal mom, you know, and being him being a normal dad and that is our relationship yeah. we are parents yeah. and sure I go off and do these fun fabulous things but and they'll occasionally come and you know visit their dad on tour or you know they're coming with me to New York when the summertime hits when I'm doing some things there but they know me waking up at six o'clock in the morning dragging them out of bed <laughs> And and making them breakfast and and having a normal life. I think that is very, very important because even I saw it being young. You know, yeah. I, I, it's really easy to get seduced by what you think is the fabulous life. And like I said, it's fabulous, but there's also a lot of pain in there too. Definitely. It's a lot. It can stunt people in their growth. But some, I suppose, do you have a... Well, now that you look at your daughter at the age you were when you started doing all those trips, does it change mm. the way you saw 16-year-old you? Does it make you think, oh, my goodness, that's actually Yeah, really, I was so really young. Little. I was so... I mean, and and she is probably far more mature than I was at 16. I mean, Scarlett is a very mature, like, wise, deep person. She's far more mature and could handle the world far better than I did, but I was out there alone. I mean, I was such a young 16-year-old as well, and zero life experience at all so really plunged into the deep yeah. end with Tokyo and Paris and Milan yeah yeah and it's interesting seeing my daughter at 16 because it is you know at times it's like you know she wants freedom and I'm like ah when I was 16 blah 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 that you that I can't project all that overly on her but I also you know it's, and it's, it's a different world they have social media now which I never had and that adds a whole other layer yeah you know, there's the occasional, I mean, my kids both have private Instagram accounts and then, you know, occasionally be it a fan of mine or a fan of their dad's, like kind of keep trying to like intrude in their worlds. And it takes them from being just 16, 14, 15, 16, and takes them into having to navigate like, oh, this crazy person keeps sending me messages or you know, me and Jack finding out like, oh my God, there are, there are fans who are taking screen grabs of my daughter's Instagram page. Somehow they've got to follow her and they're, they're doing weird shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse my language. They're doing weird things, intrusive and invasive stuff that to a 16 year old is like anxiety inducing. So having to teach them like, hey, don't feed the trolls, block anybody if you don't know them. They've, 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 they seem to say something creepy, block them. <laughs> I'm sure they've got just... good instincts for it, though. I think 
I'm like, www.block.com. I'm like, that is, that is my new mantra. If someone is intrusive, invasive, crosses a line far too much, I'm like, goodbye. We're yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't have the energy for that anymore. No, and I think probably the kids don't either. I think for them, that muscle just is something yeah. they grow up having to flex. I, th- I think they don't. I think, you know, but again, people can be intrusive and they are still 16 and young. You know, yeah. it's like when people start following or trying to follow them and they know that they're the only motive is to let's see what this kid is up to and it's 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 hard for them but they're they're again i think because we've raised them or try to again being in nashville has been great whether it's if we lived in london for instance and i love london and it's one of my favorite cities in the world but knowing my job in fashion and knowing that there is probably multiple things every night of the week that i need to you know, to go to the fabulous fans fashion dinner, I would be more pulled in my life. And again, that's just me, yep. knowing me, because I have a hard time saying no to people. That's why it's living in Nashville is great, because I can't jump on a plane and go to dinner, you know. But if I was in, in New York or in London, yep. I'd probably be like, okay, I'm going to go to the fashion dinner tonight. And yep. and it it would be a different life. That's just that's just the way I'm made, you know. Like, I, I'm, I'm like... Yeah, I have a hard time saying no. <laughs> yeah, so it's good just to be grounded where you are. And and actually, I was thinking another thing yeah. that you and I have in common is that we both recently published autobiographies where I'm sure a lot of people yes. said to you, as they did to me, it's really honest, it's wonderfully honest. And you're thinking, I'm like, yeah, I was honest, but that's part of the, the thing of it. It was really good to put stuff out there. And I, I loved reading The Red Flame. It's beautiful. And I've recommended it to lots of people as well. Thank you. It's really lovely, Karen. It's really good. And I Thank was... Thank you. That, me- that really means a lot to me, actually, because I put my heart and soul into that book. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, it's, but it's wonderful because it really gets you from the first page. And I loved how confident you are to put everything out there now because I don't know if you found this as well, but when I was writing about things that happened to me, good, bad and ugly, I found it was almost mm. like reaching back in time to myself and being like, it's okay, I've, I've put it out there now. And I wondered if you felt like yeah. that too. I definitely did. I, and, and it was, a, I'm sure you can relate to this as well. It was at times sort of anxiety inducing, thinking what, what should I share? What shouldn't I share? Um, Am I sharing too much? Am I sharing too little? I mean, there was definitely a real balance of finding out what the right level of honesty was. But I also felt a great responsibility to just tell my story as well and not and not sugarcoat it out of fear of of retribution. Because the thing is, in my in my business in fashion. You just say no to somebody because you've got like a previous commitment and someone could be like, we're not working with her again. And I was like, forget it. I, I only have an op- one opportunity to tell this story. So I'm going to tell it my way. And, you know, it's hard. Same with you. There was moments where some people were like, are you sure you want to do this? You're welcoming a lot of intrusion into your life. And I was, again, I was like, someone's got to tell the truth of have of of how growing up in a certain environment, becoming a model, the body image issues, being put on a pedestal, sort of expected to be this, the most sort of amiable human being and not have any identity. Because if you have an identity or you have a voice, you're not going to be successful as a model back then. Mm. I had to be whatever it was they wanted yeah, yeah. me to no, become. I get that. So the more malleable, 
the more malleable I was, the more easily manipulated I was, the better model I was. And I think as I've got older, I've just realized like, you know, I can have boundaries. I can have, I can stand up for myself. If something feels uncomfortable, I am well within my rights to stand up for that. But, and I felt like it was important as well because so many times people put, especially models on this pedestal. And I've seen it throughout my years with other models where, again, they're being run to the bone, they're burnt out, they're struggling, yet they're on the cover of a magazine and everyone's like, oh, she's incredible. And the machine that, that, it, that it takes to look like that, to be like that, to, versus the reality for the person who is maybe at their wit's end and really struggling with some serious things. And you just think the juxtaposition of the, the fantasy versus the real, reality, there's such a chasm there and there's such a void. So I felt like it was important to demystify that a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah. and say, yeah, these are beautiful pictures, but when you see a picture of me naked, is anyone thinking, did she have a choice? Might be a fashion picture, but did I have a choice a lot of the time? No, because I also, A, didn't realize I could say no. And if I did say no, I might be blacklisted. And nobody at that time, just the era I was in, nobody said, are you comfortable with this? Because it just wasn't, models were not expected to have an opinion. So to, to lift the veil off all of that in an effort to ultimately say to the fashion industry, like, hey, we can do better. It's a brilliant industry of incredible creatives. And it, it's, uh, you know, in many ways, the people I know in fashion, they're, they're just all such good people, but it just takes a, viewing these women and these men as well, these people, as human, yeah. you know, and that we have thoughts and feelings and when we're standing on set, if we're in our underwear or if we're naked, we're really vulnerable. Yeah. And in order to front that we're not, it takes a lot out of a person emotionally. That's so true. And actually, I think, I mean, I had a very, very, very brief and very unsuccessful few months in modelling. And um, it was after my first band had been dropped. I'd had a record deal from 18. They were dropped by the time I was 20. And then I right. um, I got scouted actually by someone called Ellis, who I think was someone that you'd worked with as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, Ellis. So she yeah. was famous yeah. Ellis. She's like in the fashion industry. Ellis is like... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I know. And I, 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 she saw me at Topshop, and um, and uh, so I did it for a bit. And I was really shocked by how bottom of the food chain models were. I didn't realize they're obviously the the celebrated thing on the pages, but actually on the days of the shoot, you're right at the bottom. And especially coming from music, yeah. where it's all about your own image and what do you want to wear, how do you want to look, how are you putting yourself out, to suddenly have all of that totally taken away was really quite shocking to me I think um and obviously yeah, you're having you it from much canvas. younger much younger and then from a really long time right and so how do you when you've spoken about you know your body image and anxiety and the things that have mm-hmm. gone on while you've been doing your modeling but also from when you were really small and you know food became something that also was a way of articulating things you couldn't say and you know and emotions were heavy yeah. and food just became the thing you could control how do you how do you sort of pass on a positive relationship with your kids? Because that, that's obviously something that would be quite a big deal for you to make sure that they feel yeah. different now, I'd imagine. Yeah, that they that their experience isn't similar to essentially to mine. And, you know, I think 
there's no easy answer for that question in a sense because look, I've done a lot of work on myself and there's still even more work to do. You know what I mean? There's every every few months I'm like, oops, I thought I was over this thing. It, here it is again, you know? So I am a constant work in progress in, in life. And that is what keeps my feet on the ground, you know, is constantly sort of making my mental health a priority in my life. Because the moment I stop is the moment I'm like, oh, I'm starting to feel anxious again. I'm starting to look in the mirror and be like, oh, Maybe I'm not good enough. And it's like, oh, please. You know, there's also an aspect of being in my 40s, though, now where my patience for the sort of the narrative has gone, you know, and I'm relieved for that. You know, the moment I start going down a sort of dark rabbit hole, I'm like, oh, please, sorry, a cat is. Oh, just... that's like, oh, I can see it through the cat flag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's marmalade. Oh, marmalade sweet. makes rare. Marmalade makes very rare appearances from well, time to time. And she, you, she just, she made a very, <laughs> that was so funny. I knew that was going to happen. Where was I? <laughs> Children and body image, you know. So for me, again, you're so right about um, models, especially back in those days, being at the bottom of the food chain. And again, for me to, because I was so good at being a model, I was so good at it because I was so willing to lose my power, you know, I mean, because I just never felt like I had any in the first place. So that's the thing often is that successful models, I'm not saying all of them, but a lot of them, we've come from really difficult places. And modeling is such an escape that we'll do anything, you know, I mean, it's like, you want me to stand naked in a field and take your fashion picture? Great. Oh, you're going to tell me that I'm then I'm fat, all right, I won't eat because I'm not going to go back to where I came from. And it creates this terrible sort of power dynamic. Mm. And and I have always had in me a very strong sense of right and wrong, you know, and, and up and down. And I always knew, especially when people were telling me, giving me grief about my body, I always knew that they were wrong. And I always knew what they were saying was really toxic but I still internalized it, even though I knew it, you know, I still internalized it because I wanted to be liked mm. and I wanted to be accepted yeah. and I wanted to be, because my job depended on it. If I wasn't, however many pounds or size zero, I would lose work. And that is just so wild to me, you know, that, that, that over the years I've witnessed so many models just have complicated relationships with their bodies because their job depends on it. And there is a point where you can only torture yourself for so long. So for me, getting into therapy, regularly seeing a therapist, talking about how I feel, that's been important because then I can impart that wisdom upon my kids. You know, my daughter, again, is a 16, 16-year-old 16 girl. I see through her friends, that, you know, sometimes some of her friends are struggling, be it with body image and whatnot, and they look up to me. You know, so then I feel a great responsibility to say, okay, that's great that you look up to me, but let me tell you about my struggle. And let me tell you that what the image you see, it's not worth the pain. You know, mm. it's not worth the 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 denial because it just, it, it's, it, the, the knock-on effect on your life is huge. And I will say fashion does seem like it's changing and it does seem like finally a conversation is happening, but I still go to Fashion Week and I still see 75% of the models are not in a healthy place. Yeah. And I 
you know, people can say, oh, you're discriminating against skinny people. I'm not discriminating against a person who is naturally slender. I know the God, difference. Yeah, I think, I think everybody kind of does, don't they? I feel like there's a... Sometimes when I've talked about this, I've had pushback. And no, I understand I think... and I don't want to be, you know, that person where it's like, well, if you're naturally skinny, you're, you have an eating disorder. I remember being a kid. And I was naturally scrawny, you know, at a certain point. Granted, I'd had eating disorders. But there was a time when I was probably like 12, 13, where I was just straight up and down. And all I wanted was boobs. All I wanted was to, you know, to be attractive. And I would, you know, just eat at that time, would eat a ton and be like, oh, I need to put on weight, you know. But then when I became a model, they were like, oh, actually, you need to lose weight. So it's just... Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's all very confusing, the messages teenagers get. And and fashion has a lot to answer for. I mean, I've had a lot of people reach out to me over the years and say, hey, you know, I used to have pictures of you on my wall. And I would say, like, if I could only get as skinny as her, my life would be perfect. And I had no idea that you were equally torturing yourself the way I was torturing myself. And I just feel these days such a big responsibility to the image I'm putting out there and the image that I am in. It's a positive one that there is an image of a woman who isn't self-annihilating, yeah. you know, just just it, it's so important for all of us to see that, to Definitely. see people who represent beauty in its many forms. And I do think that it is changing. I do feel, you know, my my friend, that model, um, her name's Paloma. And then there's Precious Lee and even Ashley Graham. Like, fuck, yes. Sorry again for swearing. But these women are incredible. Yeah. And and beautiful, gorgeous women. And it, it, it's it's like, that's what I want to see, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and I want to see a spectrum, you know? Not just sort of glum, solemn, hungry girls on the runway. Like, give them, like, let these, let these girls, like, have their bodies naturally be what they are. Yeah. I mean, even the Victoria's Secret thing, before any Victoria's Secret show knew a lot of VS models back in the day. They're all working out for three hours a day. They're all got their like special meal plan of kale and salmon for oh for months before the show. And then you do the show and it's like, ah, I'm so happy. And I would look at this show. I think, God damn, like, why are we doing this to these yeah. women? Like, let them have, like, let them, let them eat. Yeah. Let them eat, please. Because then there'd be the pictures afterwards, like eating the burger. And I'm like, what is the message this is <laughs> it's sending? It's so true. Like, it's actually demented when you put it like that. It's you completely... know, it's like then they're, they're like, oh, I'm done with the VS show. Now I can yeah. eat a burger. And it's like, oh, so really what you've been doing for the past few months is starving yourself and working yourself to the bone just to look for this male gaze thing. Yeah. But who wants to be the odd one out? But, well, as you say before, and I think it's really... Such a strong thing. Firstly, I think it's absolutely brilliant you had the conversation. And honestly, when I was reading some of the interviews where you talk about it, I was like whooping. I think it's brilliant. But secondly, right. I love the idea of you saying, I always had a really clear idea it was right and wrong. And I knew it was wrong at the time. And I knew not to, you know, not to take all of the things that, you know, it had a tough core of me that wasn't being right. affected, but I just right. felt like I was a people pleaser and I couldn't say it at the time. I think yeah. how brilliant to get to this point now where you think, right, now I can have those conversations. I've got nothing to lose. I've got the experience. Right. I know all the people I want to know from that, you know, from my, my experiences and life is pretty good. And those who want to work with me yeah. 
work with me, exactly. you know? And if someone thinks that I've got too many opinions, that's fine. <laughs> you don't need to work with me because I'm not the right person for you then, clearly. Yeah. And I think it's knowing that. And there's still a lot of work in fashion that needs to be done. I mean, there's still... It is a work in progress in the fashion yeah. industry, that's for sure. And the same in the music business, I'm sure. I mean, you know... <sighs> I'm sure you've probably witnessed over the years like a sea change as well and and women having, like you said earlier, like you started out, obviously you were, are a very successful artist and maybe your your couple of years in modeling, you saw, oh God, these women do not have a voice, period. And I would even say even in music, I've, I've witnessed the dialogue has changed about sort of predatory people and... and yep. Across the board in entertainment, we finally, as women, finally had a chance to speak our Definitely. piece and and sort of say to people, you know, like that's not that's not. Well, cool. I think that's it. I um, think we're being equipped with better language now to call those things out. I think yeah. some of the stuff from before yeah. it was still a bit lost in the grey areas, but I think we, we now yeah. have the. And I think we just didn't have the confidence yeah, as well. And I think it's just that was culturally where we were at yeah. as well that that things that were permissible then aren't permissible now. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny because I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about sort of, you know, how almost like the scales are tipping in another direction right now and how everyone's sort of like afraid of even saying anything. And it's like, okay, I hear you. There is a sea change that's happened and people now have their voice and now we have to be equally as malleable and willing to go, I will hear a perspective that I don't necessarily yeah, agree yeah. with. And doesn't mean that that person is good, bad, or anything in between. And it's an interesting time. It really is. It's been, I feel like the past few years have been a real wild awakening, especially as a <laughs> yeah, woman. I finally, I mean, I never thought I'd see someone like Harvey Weinstein jailed. You know, yeah. I never thought that would would happen. And what's even more interesting, you know, his ex-wife is a is an old friend of mine and I love her, you know, and it was it was interesting because I felt like a lot of people were trying to throw her under the bus as well. Like, oh, she must have known. I'm like, she didn't, you know, and that's with me where I stand in a different, different to sort of, you know, maybe the cultural narratives that I hold people accountable, but I'm not going to drag everybody else down with them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I do feel like at just the the era that we were at or in, especially in fashion, you know, there's a lot of fashion photographers getting held accountable in certain ways and rightly so but there's a lot of conversation didn't everybody know and it's like you know we didn't yeah. <laughs> we were just doing just our doing job exactly. and it's the culture that's what just what happened you don't you don't and you just don't you might think like that guy's a little sleazy or a little pervy I don't want to be alone with that person but you you don't know what's happening and and I'm glad I know now because I'm definitely not putting myself in those situations ever again. But I, I will say, I don't know. I don't even know what tangent I'm going down here, but it's more just I'm at this place right now where I'm really trying to give people the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think there's predators and I think there's people who've done bad, bad things. It's like, goodbye, yeah. you're done. Yeah. Like, we, we all need to have these conversations. But I don't think people are immune to making mistakes. Yeah. You know, and I think we've got to give a little like, okay, you've made a mistake. This is how you're going to learn from it. And if you learn from it, you get a second chance. If you don't, yeah, that's on no, you. No, I think that's true. <laughs> well, going back to um, motherhood, um, I wanted to ask if if then it was a big deal when you decided to have a baby. I mean, as I'm imagining you 
Did you always want to be a mother? That's something. Always. I love kids. And how did you find it when so you much. became pregnant? Because obviously if you're modelling, that means you've got to stop what you're doing. And was that you a know, big deal? It was so interesting when I got pregnant with my first kid, with Scarlett. Um, I walked in the Marc Jacobs show when I was six months pregnant. I mean, but I didn't work a lot when I was pregnant, but it was also a different part of my um, life. I just moved to Nashville. Um, I was really setting up my life there. And it was maybe, again, like COVID, where for a few months I got to be a homebody and really enjoy my pregnancy. And, and while I was traveling a fair bit while I was pregnant, because Jack was on tour at the time and doing the odd occasional shoot, I felt beautiful. And in fact, that was a way of reclaiming my body. You know, it was like I, I felt incredibly beautiful both times I was pregnant. You know, granted, with my son, there was a hilarious thing at the very last month of my pregnancy where he was sitting, like lying on one side and, you know, and, and it was blocking off a blood vessel. So I had like one massive leg. <laughs> I had the same thing. <laughs> that actually. was really unattractive. Really big vein going oh, down my. as well. <laughs> oh my god it looked like a loaf of bread it was awful and that was like oh dear I don't know like this baby needs to be born now but um I really enjoyed my pregnancies I I again I was young I was in my 20s that that I again still quite naive and still quite young that I I absolutely enjoyed the experience of being pregnant so much and becoming a mum, again, it was really cathartic for me, becoming a mother. It was very much sort of a strange healing process of, of nurturing myself and nurturing my children and recognizing that the care I give to myself is the care I give to my kids. And I have to be, you know, it, it, it is a constant reminder of taking good care of myself and never letting never letting things in my inner world getting get too dark or too twisted because I want to be a good mom you know and my kids are great they're 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 I mean look every mother's biased towards her children we're yeah we're all what are you gonna do but I, I absolutely love being a mom I really really do I mean if I had my way I would have had like four or five of them <laughs> well as a mother of five um, the last thing I was asking, well, I've got loads of redheads and I wondered what what the oh. significance of red hair is for you because it's obviously been so much part of the aesthetic you've always had. I've got about, right. I've got five kids, one's blonde and the other four are all wow. different shades of red. So all, oh. all the sort of spectrum of red from sort of chestnut through to flame. And Oh, I love that. Oh my God, I love that so much. Um, you know, it's funny because when I was a kid... My, I mean, I make my hair brighter because it's all really faded these days. But when I was younger, you know, it's like the names ginger, you know, ginger, dot any kind of terrible word. And I always felt really um, insecure. And then when I dyed my hair like bright, bright, bright red and fashion started kicking off in all the right ways, um, became my identity. And it's that thing, the things that m when you grow up that you're so insecure about, like being pale, being sort of, you know, quote unquote, funny looking. It's all the things that have served me well in my life. And it's all the things that that's the lesson, isn't it? That's the big lesson in all of this is that we can view ourselves as 
not good enough, yet the things we view as our deficits actually are our strengths. And and that has been the big lesson for me. And again, I, you know, I really identify with being a pale British redhead and, and just, again, these days it works to my benefit, you know, always. And, and when I was younger, it didn't, but that, that's the it's lesson, funny, isn't it? right? How that the, works the, out. Again, you end up celebrating it, the things about you that when you were younger, you would have wanted to blend in. Right. And then it's like, actually, it's kind of fabulous. And that is a lesson for our Definitely. kids, you know, is, is that, you know, the things that we all sort of beat ourselves up about when we're younger ultimately become the things that make us who we are. And be even on a personality you know, wise. I, again, my sense of right and wrong has steered me. Even at times, I'm like, why do I dig my feet in the ground and why am I so stubborn? It's served me well. <laughs> it definitely has, Karen. Definitely. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. I've been drinking tea. Thank you so much. You too. Honestly, such a pleasure. Yay. Tips <laughs> <here>. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I had That's to. British I had girl, to. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, what a lovely conversation and I really loved talking to Karen and I, I would love to actually meet her in real life one day <laughs> and sit down and have a chat. I think there was more we could have talked about, um, but uh, I, I was given kind of quite a strict time frame, which is really understandable because she's got lots going on. But I realised that I kind of had her, um, her lovely chat from her office come on the line just before the end and go, right, one more question. And I was like, I've got about 10 more to ask. So I had to just pick some really random one anyway thank you to karen for joining me it was lovely to speak to her and thank you to you for lending me your ears once again and thanks to richard for being patient with me because um he's basically sat in the studio waiting for me to send over this bit of audio so that he can then pack for the camping uh, my life in bags I did as well a bit of a classic. I've, I ordered a food shop because I thought, right, I'll just take, get a food shop and then just shove it in the car. And I think I've really over-ordered because I couldn't really picture what was happening. And I thought, what if I can't get all the camping stuff to work on the second night when I'm on my own and the kids are hungry, so I've got, like, all these random bits and bobs. Well, we won't starve, that's for sure. And uh, I've also picked back some, uh, some wine and some beer, so I'm going to be fine at the end of the day as well. Anyway... Lots of love to you. Have a good week. Please wish me a dry camping spell and I will see you next week. Lots of love for you. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusion Supply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.